Hey, I'm Aeon. And I'm the Lioness. And you're listening to Box Number 512 Podcast. Grown Black Trans Woman Talk. Changing your world one conversation at a time. The show begins now. Welcome to another installment of Box Number Five Slow Podcast, Grown Black Trans Women Talk. I am Aeon. And I am the Lioness. So before we go into our main topic for today, let's get those updates out of the way. I guess I'll go first. Okay. <laughs> I just, so I spent the last week in Baltimore with my mom, um, just reconnecting with her and helping her around the house and um, just helping her out with different things. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was really good to see my mom and to see my family. I also got to see some of my extended family. And How did that go? Um, it, went, it went fine. Um, my yeah. mom and my aunts, uh, because they had like a lot of extras of things, I got to get a lot of like additional pots and pans and like baking pans um, that I can have for my home. So I'm glad, shout out to them. I'm glad to have that in my home because I really want to, this holiday season, I really want to get into baking and stuff like that. Comfort foods, yes God, especially here. (laughs) Right, I want to get into baking and um, now I have my big pot so I can um, really go in on my greens and really perfect my greens recipe. So I'm ex- I'm excited. I know I'm going to be back and forth to Baltimore um, a couple of more times this month um, for family reasons. But I don't know. Every time I go back to Baltimore, it's just like I still have love for the city, but it just it's not the same city to me anymore because a lot of the places and people that I knew when I was living there and I was. Um, thriving there like they they're not there anymore and it's Mm. really been sad for me just to see how rapidly the city has changed isn't that always the case i hate going home to south carolina for that same reason it's like oh my god like they're ruining everything (laughs) right (laughs) but i guess that's just how cities are it just doesn't look the same and it takes such a short period of time to see such drastic changes these days with the way they build and stuff yeah, yeah. So it's it's heavy gentrification. It's more gentrification, but like a lot of the places that I like, that I like to have frequent or have closed. And like every time I drive to go somewhere, just to be like, oh, I'm gonna go here. The place is closed. So it's just, mm-hmm. it's just. Always have something to do with that too. Do you think? No, this is before even like these are things I noticed before COVID even happened. But it's just amazing to see how much. Baltimore City has changed in the time that I have left. So, um, mm-hmm. and like I said, a lot of people have either moved out of Baltimore or they passed away. And um, yeah, it's just like, I like going home because I get to see my family. But like for me as a girl that loved the city and came of age in that city, mm-hmm. like it's just, you know, it's hard for me to be back there because like a lot of the things about Baltimore that brought me joy are no longer there anymore. And that is a city that does suffer from a certain amount of like urban blight because of the the way, you know, the way unfortunately federal funding and stuff is being given and 
there's a lot of, I get what you're saying. And so I can imagine while it's growing in a lot of ways, it's a lot of cultural stuff is probably, you know, suffering as a result. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. But yeah, I, but all in all, I'm a Baltimore girl. I will always love Baltimore. Do I want to live there anytime soon? No, ma'am. I'm doing everything <laughs> in my power. So I never have to live there again, but um, I definitely am a girl that, remembers and, and connected to where I come from. So anytime I get to go back, um, I'm always trying to reflect and just um, remember where I was when I was at this part of town and just, you know, being humble and being grateful. But what about you? So my week has been interesting. So um, I mentioned it, or I, I don't know if I've mentioned it on the last podcast, but this week, the Lioness Lives podcast, the Lioness Still Lives podcast is going to be available everywhere podcasts are found. Um, we are, I'm very excited. I'm going to have, so my podcast is going to focus on um, the conversation, the wonderful conversations that I have with family, friends, loved ones, community folks. And um, I'm very excited for the content that I'm about to put out. Um, we will be talking about love, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But we'll also just be talking about, because I feel like, we on this podcast clearly live lives that on box number five twelve podcast we clearly lives lives that intersect with so many different other communities and um and we're able to do that while still being woke black and trans and i would love and so um all of my friends at this point in my life because you don't have an option to not be woke um if you're my friend um, all of my friends, even my cis friends, the couples that my husband and I interact with, some of the people that, you know, I've met through just like being in the world just as a, as a, as a woman and friends and coworkers. So it's just going to be one of those podcasts where you can really, really get to see how we intersect and navigate through the world. And, and you'll also get to see the love in how black, there are black cis men out there that are not necessarily trying to date me as a trans woman, but that are, that are, you know, and, and that are married and, and are, have kids, but I'm still a part of their lives. And I feel like that's important to showcase. So that's what we're going to do on the Lioness Lives podcast. And that is again, airing this coming Saturday, which I believe is um, September the 5th. And um, it'll be up early in the morning. And then I'm going to do a live after show. And there'll be some giveaways. Um, also, speaking of giveaways, for this podcast, for those of you listening, Box Number 512 Podcast has partnered with my organization, Tilt. And some of my donors, I'll be giving them a, a deeper shout out in our later um, live episode. But Tune into the live this Friday, girls. We're giving some things away, honey. I'm not going to spoil the surprise, but you guys stay tuned. And definitely, it's going to be something that I feel like is worthwhile and vital for our survival in these times. So that's exciting for me. Also, um, just in general, I'm, I'm, I'm in a really, really good space. Um, my, married, my marital anniversary and my birthday was August the 22nd, but this weekend, Labor Day weekend, Pride weekend, was the first date that I met my husband. And so this will be the official 10 years. The other one the other day was six. 
So this will be the official 10-year anniversary this weekend. Girl, we ain't doing shit because COVID is at an all-time high. But it's just exciting to be able to say that that milestone was reached. And I'm just excited. Living, loving, laughing. And, you know, all of these years my husband and I have been together, we've grown into individuals that I think we didn't plan necessarily at the beginning to be with. But the respect that we have for one another has grown over the years. And I feel like that's the key. As you evolve with people, you just got to make sure y'all have mutual respect and that you understand that any relationship is a contract that has to be negotiated and renegotiated all over again. So, girl, I'm excited. I have good things in the pipeline. I'm excited about, you know, the conversations that I've had thus far for the podcast and just starting a new baby. Um, I will say I, I really appreciate and value you, sis, because um, setting up my own podcast and doing a lot of things by myself, I really, really have a, a, a respect for the support that you offer as far as your technical savvy in, in when we're doing this podcast. And so, you know, just learning how to do just some things that you just do so naturally um, it was, was something that was a, a learning curve for me. But thank God for Skillshare and all is well. So, yes, that's my week, girl. Thank you. So we're gonna get we're gonna get into the main topic, and Lioness is going to lead us off into the topic yeah. for this week. So turn yes. turning it over to you. Thank you, darling. So what we do understand is that we is that a part of our platform here on Box Number Five Twelve is to talk about the issues and the life experiences and the you know, all of the things that we enjoy as trans people in our quest for life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Um, it's Black grown trans woman talk. Well, part of, I feel like, us being grown, and I know Brianna feels the same way, is us being able to talk about and confront the things that may have served us at some points in our lives, but as you grow, as we grow, um, we, there's parts of your personality that as you evolve, no longer serve you. And there's certain things that probably are important to you at some points in your life that aren't import, as important to you as you grow and evolve. And one of those things is religion. Now, before we get into the topic, I want to give this disclaimer. The opinions and views of of Brianna and myself are just our opinion. We are in no way trying to dismantle anyone's religious beliefs or point of views. We are simple, but we will critique them and we will talk about how they can hurt us because I feel like as trans people, religion is a major divider in our relationships with community, family, and in some cases, it can be a barrier to us having faith. And faith in something, in my opinion, is something that we all need. Um, not necessarily an organized religion per se, but I do believe even if it's faith in yourself, you have to have faith in the evidence of things unseen in order for it to manifest because that's kind of like hope and dream and visioning. And so I wanted to, this is an important podcast and we want to hold this space with a certain amount of reverence, but we're not pulling no punches. So I just wanted to put that out there in advance. Um, so in, in broaching this topic, I felt it was important that we start from the beginning. And so Brianna, for a moment, would you like, so what is your religious background like, um, particularly as a child? What was your religious upbringing like and how did it affect you? Uh, so I didn't grow up in a particularly like religious household. Um, I'm the 
product of like a single parent. So my mom worked a lot and she worked in the medical field. So a lot of times she worked weekends. So mm-hmm. it wasn't like we were able to wake up every Sunday and go to church. Now, I have an aunt here in Maryland who is a pastor and ran her own church. So from time to time, we would go to her church. Um, and she, because she was a, a Black woman pastor um, and because... You know, she she you kind of as a woman pastor. From what I've seen, you had more freedom to maneuver outside of like norms because a lot of men don't want women to preach anyway. So I kind of felt like that gave my aunt more space to be more creative. When I did go to my aunt's church, and she had a couple of churches throughout my childhood, her church wasn't like the fire and brimstone um, type of preaching. It was, you know, it was very like hip for the, for the youth, very um, open. So, but we didn't go to her church every weekend, just when time permitted, um, we would go to her church. But my, the, the religious experiences that had the most impact on me are when I went to stay with my aunt and my uncle in um, Columbus, Georgia, over the summer. And my aunt and uncle were born again Christians. And um, by the time I came around, they were like, they they were and still are heavily into the church. So um, heavily into the church, meaning like Bible study on Wednesdays, choir rehearsal all day on Saturdays, um, church all day from Sunday school all the way to first service to second service. And even before we got to church, it was, she would lure you in the kitchen in the morning by cooking um, breakfast, but then it would give like, well, while we're eating breakfast, we're going to read the daily bread. And not only do we have to read the daily bread, you need to tell me how you interpreted the daily bread and we need to have a conversation around the the kitchen table about it. So those experiences over the summer, um, being in the deep South and, um, and I, I can't remember what denomination her particular church was, but dealing with that type of like strict religion where you had to be in church and you, and they were very interwoven into their particular church. Um, those were where I got my um, first experiences um, with religion like as an institution or as like a cultural um, practice where it was just something you did day in and day out and there were lessons that you were supposed to learn and you had to act like this and you had to um, be like this and you know when you're a child like it's fun um, it's fun for a while, but I, I think that as I started to get older and as I started to come into my queerness, um, I, you know, I started to come into conflict um, with what I particularly believed and how I fit into like religion and or church. Yeah. Okay, okay. So let me ask you, 
did so you talked about uh, before i go into mine i just have a follow-up question for you mm-hmm. you talked about your relationship with your aunt that was a pastor even though her environment at her church wasn't fire and brimstone and you were able to go with her from place to place um did was there any impact on how because i'm sure now you know i'm sure as a kid you were probably perceived as queer or gay Mm-hmm. Um, was there any like policing as a result of that that might have occurred, or was there any excuse me any hesitancy to embrace your truth as a result of that religious experience um, in your in your childhood, particularly in childhood? We can talk about the adult later, but I'm talking about in childhood. Did you feel uh, particularly policed in that environment? Mm, no, because I feel like. In that particular time when I was going, I was always just another one of the like the the nieces and nephews. Like I was always Not just you. another. You one had of the, the covering kids. of being pastor's niece, right? And also, my my aunt really wasn't like that. Like she wasn't like she wasn't really policey in that way. Like like okay. if you were to meet her, she's a very soft spoken like. Um, like, just very, like, soft-spoken, like, chill, down-to-earth person. Like, if you would have talked to her, you would never even know that she was a pastor. Because she was the, like, she would have her dress, but she would also have her um, her full-set cloth that mm-hmm. she just got done at the, um, the you know, the, the nail shop. So, she, like, right. she was very, like, one of, she, yeah, she really wasn't, I really didn't, um, well, I didn't experience the policing um, of my gender and my queerness in church because once I got to that age, I kind of started um, to push back, particularly with uh, my mom even letting me go down south. Once I started, once I got to become a teenager, mm-hmm. I was just like, these summers in Columbus, Georgia, it's clipped for that. Like, we don't like, we don't, I don't need to be, like, I, I I just knew intrinsically that I did not need to be coming to my own in Columbus, Georgia. Like, I needed to be in Baltimore. Got you. Great foresight on behalf of a child, I think. But I think if we listen to children more, and I'm glad your mother listened to you, we often know what we need. You know what I mean? Right. But, um, so, yeah. So, just to give you guys a little context about my, about my background, I am from the Bible Belt. I live, I am from South Carolina. My people hail from Pinewood, South Carolina. I was raised in Hopkins, South Carolina, um, which is a suburb, one of the the country cousin suburb of the city. Um, The distance probably, for those of you who live in Atlanta, the distance probably would be maybe from Atlanta to maybe Douglasville. That's where I lived growing up, um, from the city of Columbia. Um, so it was definitely still small town environment, definitely still a certain way of thought, and definitely churches on every single solitary corner. Mm-hmm. Um, and so while, so, so let me, I can, I'm, I'm going to start with my positive experience. So from a very young age, um, my, my mother's and my, my mother's family in particular, is, it, they're, 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 they, they, I was raised AME as a young child. And um we would come and go to different events. And, and essentially, it was a protected environment because the entire church was my family or related to me in some way. Um, so when we would go down to Pinewood and go to the church, go down to the church, um, it, was, it was love. I never felt really particularly judged there. 
Um, for those of you who know the AME kind of scripture and or the 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 liturgical traditions that they have in AME, it's very stoic. It's very kind of a piano and then a singing, you know, in unison and clapping and stomping on them church church board floors. Um, there were there were pastors that would travel, so then the AME church doesn't let pastors have like lifetime appointments at a location. So there were pastors that traveled, and so it really didn't have uh, the opportunity to be an environment that was um, oppressive. Now, we were not every go to church every Sunday people until I was in middle school going into high school when my family joined um, First Nazareth Baptist Church in Columbia, South Carolina. Um, that, that, you know, there's only a couple of what we would call, I guess it would be like one of Columbia's mega churches. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is where I, you know, joined choirs. That is where I, that's where I, you know, would sing. That's where I would do the prayer on youth Sundays. That's where I would do the call to worship. That's where I really, really honed a lot of my skills as a communicator. Um, that's where I was forced to do a lot of public speaking because mind you, you know, when somebody says, oh, we want you to do the prayer Sunday to open up service for youth Sunday, we're talking youth Sunday at a church that's seating 7,000 people or more. You see what I'm saying? Right. So it was a quite a, 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 a you know, quite a, a mental exercise to get over, but I got over it and I enjoyed, and that's where I developed my love of public speaking. So, and I, and that's also where I, you know, got my ability to sing. Now, on the flip side, for me, I feel like those experiences were great, but what I really got as a child, particularly when we started going to this mega church and, you know, it mattered what people were looking at me and what they thought of me. I remember starting to feel very policed by my parents um, because it was very much don't embarrass me. And there is nothing more painful for a child to hear um, than don't embarrass me when I have not, when I'm not doing anything. My existence, you mean, you mean my femininity, the way I show up in the world, whatever, you already telling me in advance before I walk into this building that I need to somehow not be myself. And that narrative, and even them down to them policing exactly what I wore. Like I was one of the only kids in the house that had to get their outfits approved Mm. um, before I would go to church. Um, And so it was just very like, my parents knew that I was going to, that I was unique. They knew that I had a different sense of style. They knew that I was, at that point, I'm pretty sure they knew where I was going as far as my femininity and seeing me and starting to embrace it. And so I really feel like they, a part of going, taking a, us going to church was them feeling like they needed to give me, not just me, but my siblings, some type of religious um, structure. Because now, mind you, my mother, my parents are not deeply, deeply religious people. For them, the act of going to the church was communal. We want to join a community. We want y'all to participate in community activities. 
And in the South, where you don't really have a lot of resources for Black gatherings outside of church, the church is where those gatherings occur. And I think that that was their intent to send me to church. But while there were a lot I enjoyed about church, I often felt oppressed in that environment because it was in church that I realized that something was wrong with me. It was, if, if the prep going into church didn't, it was not that my pastor at all preached fire and brimstone. Pastor Blakely Scott is a wonderful man and I've I never heard him say anything particularly bad, but there was an individual that was on the choir that clearly was a girl who peeled and she sang solos in the choir. And she sang in the highest falsetto in the world. And I know, I never forget her for her song was that song, thank you, thank you, Jesus. And then she was singing just that high the whole time. And it was this, I was fascinated by that. But what I also heard was everybody sucked their teeth every time that child got a solo. What I heard was the mummerings and the things under people's breath. Um, and it was just like, what the fuck? Like, what is that about? Like, so then it made me very, uh, it made me understand why my parents were saying, you know, don't embarrass us or may, or, or, you know, don't say nothing. You keep quiet, be quiet. You know, um, there were times where I would give a prayer or something in church and then I would get the critique afterwards. Why you talk with your hands like that? Make sure you put your hands down to the side next time. Make sure you stop fidgeting. Why you lean back like that? Stop reaching around and grabbing your other arm. Like I would get those, like literally to the point where it would create anxiety, not because I was afraid of what I was doing in church or stage fright that, that I didn't think that people would receive me well, but rather my parents would feel something or see something and then later I would have to hear about it. Right. So that was really, really stressful for me as a child. And that affected how I saw myself. And I just knew I got, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to have to leave and I'm going to have to hide. And so then that led to me, you know, starting to hide and having that separate set of clothes that all the girls know about and having, you know, polishing my nails at school and then trying to take the nail polish off and hoping to God I didn't use too deep of a red so that when I got home, they wouldn't see it. All of that because I was afraid. And then I, also... There were people that took the time to pull me to the side, older people that would kind of like give me, you need to make sure you, you need to be careful. You need to watch what you're doing. You need to make sure you're not, you're not out here in the world doing whatever, you know, da, 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 da. Like they wouldn't question me as if they already felt like I was, and really it was in, really in a weird way, I really felt like they could perceive me being of LGBT experience. And as adults, they were, um, they already assumed that there was some deviant behavior going. Them not realizing I'm a child and or I'm a it, it was them sexualizing you. Very much so, sis. Very much so. I didn't want to say it in that way. But, but it, it is what it is. Very much so. Very <laughs> much grown men coming up to me, like asking me about my girlfriends and who you dating. And all right, now nah, don't be out here. It was very much like this assumption that because I was LGBT that I was fucking and promiscuous and having sex with grown-ups. And so then at a young age, you know, there would be people who would want to pray over me and like, and, and then in the prayer, it's just me and them praying. But in the prayer, you're praying to remove the demon of lust. You're praying to remove the demon of sexuality. And I'm like, 
but I'm not doing nothing. Well, I don't understand where this is coming from. So I knew at a young age that there was something wrong with me just existing because people felt that there was something in me that needed to be rebuked. So that's what church gave me was that initial fear of death, but also the fear that if God forbid something did happen to me, that I would die and go to hell just because of what I was. Not that that was said by my pastor, but the environment was very, very bad. Very bad. So now, sis, transitioning now through your um, childhood and into your, um, I guess, your young adulthood, um, I guess I should just ask um, how, well, this, I guess the question is, what is your faith walk like now and how did it evolve from you coming of age and then discovering yourself and then now? Well, I, I would say now that I, I identify as agnostic, meaning that I don't follow any particular organized religion, but I do, I am very spiritual. I do believe in a God or gods. Um, like, I, I, I do have a spirituality, but it's not necessarily tied to a, a religion. And it definitely has been a process for me to get here. Um, I am now, like, I, I'm hoping that I get to a point where I have enough time to, like, really research, like, our indigenous African religions, because that's, that's just something that, um, really interests me and feels very natural to me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I guess, um, going back to, like, my, my teenage, my teenage years, which, which is where my queerness began to manifest. I would say that I'm one of the lucky ones because I really wasn't associated with the church. So I never had to go through the, um, the, the you're going to hell sermon like some people have had to do with in community. Um, I have story. Yeah, but because, and my aunt, my aunt Cynthia, who's up here in Maryland, um, she, like I said, she was never like the problem preacher or her church was never, cause my aunt Cynthia up here, her, like her church was the type of church where you came as you were. So like we would literally go to church in our regular clothes. Like mm -hmm. it was like one of those type of, so it was very much like come as you are. We're not about, you know, the, the pomp and the circumstances and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But once I came of age and I stopped going to like deep South Bible Belt church, the only really interaction that I had with like those type of institutions were through my interactions with my aunt Bunny who lives in the South. So like, though I did not like sit in a church or have to go, cause it got to a point where I stopped going, like once I became a teenager, I stopped going down South throughout the summer so it was like yes i'm free because once i started to come in into myself i'm like oh this is oppressive but what ended up kind of happening was once i started you know interacting with boys and having sex with boys and then once i got caught it was it was like people would like i i remember like one time my godmother 
the first time I ever got caught with a boy, my mom had sent me to stay with my um, godmother in D.C., which looking back, it's like, why would you send a queer child to D.C. of all places? But anyway, she sent me to stay you with my godmother. You kind of got put out? I didn't get put out, but I got, like, sent away for, like, the weekend. Oh, okay, okay. Um, but in that sending away, like, my aunt, who went through this phase of going to church, but she was just really going to church to find a man. But anyway, she had uh, brought up this Bible and had specifically read the verses in Leviticus to me about, <gasps> excuse me, man shall not lay with men. So like once, once it became obvious that I was one of the girls and that I was entertaining dudes, like it would be like, well, let me sit down and, break out the you mind me asking what age were you when you were found to be with a man i can't remember the age but it had to be 10th grade it was at okay. some point in the 10th grade that's when i really that like because like when in ninth grade in high school like my sexuality was like ambiguous like i knew i was queer but it wasn't a conversation that we talked about in high school but, and then when i got to 7th grade it, i just got to the point where well, girl, if this is what you're going, if this is what you want to do, like now is the time to do it. I don't know why I felt that way, but it it was just like now is the time for you to be as queer as you want to be and do because because I'm just a very impulsive person by nature, and I just have always been the type of person that is just going to um, rebel so I can be free. So like. You know, 10th grade is when I really started to come into my own uh, in my queerness, which was way different from what I imagine it is now because I was kind of like the only person in my class who was one of the girls and it was a whole thing. But because I started to interact with boys and I got caught, it then became a problem for my mom. And I don't know, like, with people breaking out Bible verses and stuff to me and like me, and then me actually go, it got to the point where I'm going in Bibles on my, on my own and reading. And I'm like, well, bitch, this really does say that man shall not play with mankind. So it kind of, I don't know. It was kind of always in the back of my mind that like, this is simple and this is not what you are supposed to do. But, it felt right. It felt like my, it felt right. It felt what I was like, I was supposed to be doing and I was, and I knew, and I knew I wasn't going to stop. So I think throughout my high school years, um, there was like this tension. And also I was in choir in high school. And though that wasn't church, it was kind of like pseudo religious because we were singing gospel songs and we were going to churches and mm -hmm. you know gender roles and all of that and you know I'm with singing with the guys and I, I kind of have to be one of the guys but I'm also really queer so that was going on but um but I was still doing what I was doing mm -hmm. and like yeah on paper it says it's a sin but bitch why does it feel so natural for me so and then I think once I left high school um, and like right before I transitioned, um, I remember I told my mom that um, I didn't want to celebrate Christmas anymore 
um, because I, I did I didn't identify as a Christian, and I remember like when I told my mom that, and she just had this like look of shock on her face, like you said the unspeakable, like how could you say say that, and mm-hmm. what about God? Like it was like a really big like, but but. I was also on the flip side kind of gagging at my mom because I'm like, mom, like, you are not super religious. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not super religious. We were never in church every Sunday. And I think to me, because of that tension and because it had gotten to the point where I'm observing that we, like, we as Black people, a lot of times it's not about spiritual relief, but we do stuff out of, like, practice and custom. So to see my mom, who is not particularly religious, but she's having this reaction because I'm kind of going against the custom of what we as Black people are trained to do and we're supposed to do, it kind of created more um, dissonance in me. And then when I told her I didn't want to celebrate Christmas because I didn't identify as a Christian, um, you know, she, she took that the wrong way. And then before I transitioned, I don't know. I think I went through a period where, like, I hated God or I hated religion and I hated God because I kind of felt like, one, I felt like it was not for me. And I was just like, well, why would I be created if I was only going to be a son? That part. Yeah. So I feel like before I transition all the way up to a certain part in my transition, I kind of like, I kind of felt like I had to reject religion altogether because I didn't feel like I knew that I was what I was and I wasn't going to stop because it just felt natural to me. Mm-hmm. But I knew that there was not a place for me. And I knew I wasn't the, one of them type of queens that was just going to sit up in the church and take it. I knew that wasn't me. Right, right. Yeah, I, I, I can identify with that experience wholeheartedly. Um, for I, I guess for me, my walk, so now, mind you, I left my parents' home kind of abruptly. Um, you know, it was me, me realizing that I couldn't be myself at home. And so I'll say around 17, I began to come home a little scarcely and, you know, I would be gone and then my parents would be worried about me and then I would, you know, that kind of thing. And then by the time I graduated from high school, um, well, let me fast forward. So before that, I would, there was a time where when I was younger, I was invited to do things at church and speak and do things of that nature. But as I began to mature, all of those things stopped. I was no longer asked to participate in things at church. I was no longer, I was kind of very much sat down. Um, I was unceremoniously not invited to participate in the youth choir. Like, and I wasn't understanding why. Mm-hmm. Well, I take that back. I knew exactly why, but I wasn't understanding why these people who had known me since I was young would just all of a sudden make it like I'm a different person. Like I knew why, because I was the kid that other kids wouldn't want to play with. I was the kids where... Um, I can remember people's parents looking at me and saying, I don't want you to play with, I don't want you to play with that no more in my face. Um, I never went back and told my parents these things because again, don't embarrass me. That's what they gave me. So it didn't, so because I got that languaging, that messaging, I wouldn't even tell them when people would mistreat me because 
I didn't want to embarrass them because that would only be confirmation that I had done something gay or feminine or stood a certain way and they were embarrassed. And then that would ultimately lead to repercussions later. So I wasn't necessarily invested in trying to tell my parents all of the ways in which I feel like people at church just really put their, feel, put their ugliness onto me as a child. So when I left my parents' home, I felt like I was lawless. I felt like I had left everything. I felt like I was sinning against God. I had this huge feelings of self-loathing, which made me want to kill myself. I, did, I was hoping and praying for a cancer or something so that I could die young and, and suffer and not suffer the fate of this miserable existence. Because at that point, I knew that I could not help who I was. And mind you, still a virgin. So it's not about sex. My femininity, my womanhood at that point could not be constrained any longer. And I began to just live as a woman. No real rules. So I was, you know, I was a mess because I didn't know nothing. I just went to the girl section, started buying girl clothes, started getting my nails done, and then just figured it out in pieces. Like, okay, my, as you know, ooh, now I'm starting to get a little shadow. Let me, let me start shaving that off. Let me, you know, ooh, ooh, let me, you know, I want to wear hair, you know, like, um, I, I was just figuring that out on my own. And because I wasn't connected to a community, I was very lost. So what I did, I started joining churches here in Atlanta. I felt like Atlanta was an affirming city. There weren't that many of, there were only, at that time, there was only Tabernacle was the affirming church at the time. And they were in the middle of a scandal. Um, it was the very beginning of it becoming a affirming, because essentially um, of Tabernacle, our first affirming church here started out as a regular, you know, regular, regular church. And then after a scandal with the pastor who then, you know, became an advocate for community and then just came out about his own bisexuality, then it became an affirming church because people, even though a lot of his membership left, a lot of gay people then flocked to that ministry because now there's a, here we have an openly bisexual pastor. And that's how Tabernacle became one of the bigger churches. But during, I was looking for a church roundabout when that happened and that sounded a little too, uh, again, because I also judged myself. I was calling myself going to church to try to see, now, now mind you, if there was something in church that I had missed growing up that would heal me. There was always a deep down prayer for healing so that I would not no longer be this thing that everybody pauses and starts whispering about, especially when I would get on the, so now I, the first church that I joined here in Atlanta was new birth, a mess. New a bitch a new birth bitch. <laughs> Again, this was this was that was the church when I first moved here. So I went to New Birth. I went there for um I want to say almost a year. And in that year time, I saw that pastor for who he was. And I'm not gonna go into any specifics on that, but I being someone that at that point now, at that point I'm having sex. Okay. I've I've left my parents home, I moved here to Atlanta. And I'm by my I'm, I'm by myself here with my with a with a friend of mine, and then my brother came. But before all that, I was here, and I was just trying to figure it out. And when I went to that church, I will never forget. Um, literally looking at that man and seeing him engage with one of the boys, 
no shade because I was ever going to forget my, my, I used to sit all the way in the top, all the way at the top. And Blue Birth is a, is a church that has three tiers up on top, on top of the main floor. It's a big ass dome. And I remember where I positioned, you could kind of see the stage and the side of the stage, like where they about to come on kind of tea. And I saw um, the way he would engage with um, one of the guys. And I was like, mm-mm. Cause now then I have, now I have gaydar. Now I know what it looks like. And I was like, yeah, this ain't right. And that was the only church I had ever gone to where on the pulpit, Somebody made, he made a direct homosexuality is perversion, you know, type of conversation. Mm-hmm. Now, for those of you who don't know, that church at one point had what was called an out of the wilderness ministry, which was like an ex-gay ministry to help people transition. Um, Bernice King was a part of that as well. You know, there, but yeah, it was one <laughs> of those, but, but, but she was a minister that was a part of that ministry. But, you know, it was one of those like, definitely a place not to go if you uh, but what's crazy was i was recommended to that church by lgbt folks in the church the church probably still to this day has a large lgbt following because the kids want to be seen and the the reason why i wanted to have this topic is because there are still a lot of lgbt people the lgbt people that are navigating their sexuality, their lives, even while having partners, even while having jobs and kids and prospering, and you're paying your tithes to churches and institutions that actively seek to to speak ill of and erase your existence. Now, when I went to go to church, because I was so serious about it being something that was transformative to me, I was a note taker. So I would take all these notes and then I would go home and I would read the Bible. And then what I started to see was inconsistencies. And that made me question things. And I was like, okay, so the inconsistencies I'm seeing is that there are a lot of things that we're permitting that is in that same Leviticus chapter and chapter, that same Leviticus chapter has other things that we are omitting and we're choosing to say, well, that was for that time period and that's not how we live anymore. But y'all wearing mixed fabrics, y'all eating shellfish, you know, we're even having that at church functions. Like, so it's letting me know that we're not adhering cl- as closely to this church. And it was really hard to get to New Birth because New Birth is out deep out, out in Latonia. It'd be closer to get there from where I live now. But at the time, living downtown around Georgia State, that was hell without a car. Um, and then bus rides and all kind of foolishness because of the traffic that um, mega churches generate. So I left that church and I found a church, still a mega church, but it was off of the, and, and let me tell you also, the mega churches did a great job in Atlanta of reaching out to college students. So that's also why I ended up going to these bigger churches is because they would have the vans that would pick up from MARTA and take you all the way out to where the big church was. So it made it easier for me to just get up, get ready, get on MARTA, get to the designated MARTA station, and then get on the bus and then have that bus make the remaining 30-minute drive to the church. So that's what it really was. It was kind of out of convenience, but I ended up going to Creflo Dollar. Now, around this time, you know, I was really, really already having doubt. I left this one church because it felt complete like confusion to me. That man came off as, like, gay and, and hiding it, and I was just like, I don't 
you know what, I can't. And I left that church. When I went to Creflo Dollar, though, I would ride on the bus. And the big thing with Creflo Dollar is, is that we're world changers. We're world changers. And that really played into my mind as a young Christian, as someone that was LGBT, that maybe my purpose is to change the world. And so we would literally greet each other in public. And, and, you know, even if I didn't, I wasn't nowhere near church. Hey, world changer. Hey, world changer. Like it was a, a moniker that we bantied about. And I felt like I was a part of a community. Now, in that service that Sunday, or, or, uh, there was a Sunday, I was going to that church. And um, there was a Sunday that came where, and I would wear my hats and everything, girl. Now, mind you, this was me really terrorizing these church folks because I was coming in full, in full regalia, young transgender in a big hat. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I had no shame. I had no shame because I felt in this big church, that was also why I chose big churches. If you zero in on me, you're not focusing on God anyway. So it was safety and numbers in my opinion. So I just felt, you know, and then in Atlanta, you have the gay men that are carrying purses and going to church or wearing these flamboyant outfits, going to an actual church. So it wasn't like I felt like I was the only one or I was alone or I was even the most dramatically dressed. I was actually kind of conservative. The goal was to be a conservative church woman. So I'm sitting in the, but I wouldn't wear dresses. I would particularly not wear dresses just because I didn't want that heat. But I would wear women's slacks and I wear my blazer, my women's blazer jacket with it, with the, you know, I wore all girl clothes now with my hat, but I just would never wear a pair of dresses there because I just didn't feel comfortable with dealing with that backlash. Because again, I got to ride on the bus with these people before and after. So um, that experience for me was the, was the moment where I realized I could not be a part of a church that just did not fully accept me because I joined World Changers. And I remember being in the audience one Sunday and the pastor, it was, it was a myriad of different reasons why I left that church. But one of it was he felt like his he had on all these diamonds one Sunday. And he was like, and everybody was clapping and screaming for his diamonds. He had this really flashy Rolex and all these pinky rings and shit on it and chains on and it was unlike him because usually he wears like a church and he does wear like a you know a ring here and there but he was really decked out that Sunday and he said I want to put on the full armor of God for this conversation and then he proceeded to tell a story about how he was at uh, uh, I'll never forget it was Atlanta um, um, Hawks game the baseball no not Hawks it was the baseball team the Braves he was at the Braves game and he was in the bathroom at a Braves game and some man tried to hit on him at the urinal. And he told his story on the pulpit. And then he proceeded to say, we gotta stop, cause we gotta stop letting these perverts walk amongst us. And when he said that, people around me kind of looked at me, girl. And that was just like, oh no, ma'am. Like, <laughs> no ma'am. And he went on to say a few, uh, he went on to say a few other little like dog whistly things, but then he led up to him saying, faggot alert, faggot alert. He was like, y'all need to have a faggot alert. When somebody do something and you know it ain't right, these niggas walk around sagging and women in your mind, it should go off faggot alert, faggot alert. 
and he used the word faggot on the pulpit. And it crushed my soul. No one could tell me that he didn't because I was there. And he issued an apology. So now it crushed my soul. But then I was like, okay, so the next Sunday rolled around and I was like, well, I don't know if I should go, but I want to go because I want to see if what happened. Because I, I, literally, I saw people in the audience. Some people gasped and people weren't. I mean, when he first said it, no one clapped. You know how usually that's like a very like a responsive environment. No one clapped and everybody was quiet. And then the whole room started clapping. And then he had a standing O. So I was like, what the fuck? Like, this is not my space. Like, all these people in here are clapping like what he said was right. And what hurt my feelings more than anything was there was this flamboyant queen two rows ahead of me, hollering the glory! And he was having a whole cut up, a whole cut up. And I was like, she talking about you too, girl? Like, I, I just remember feeling that in my spirit. But I did go the next Sunday because it was a routine for me. And I went the next Sunday and he made an apology, but he still went on. Oh, and by the way, that was a men's day program. It was Father's Day. And I'd have left this one part of, important part of the story. My sister, my blood sister, had come into town to visit me. <laughs> and that was one, and I brought her to my church. My sister would come and visit me, and we would go to church conferences here. We went to Juanita Bynum's conference where people was bowing to this, um, this, this Ark of the Covenant. Like, it was, a, we, went, we went to a few different conferences, religious conferences that they held at the Dome. I was definitely invested in trying to find God. And I thought I had to find him through Jesus and the church. So now fast forward to this incident, my sister's sitting there next to me. And I remember me and her looking at each other and being like, you ready to go? Yeah, I'm ready to go. And we got up and left. But like I said, I went back the next Sunday. My sister wasn't in town then. She had gone back home to college. She was in college at the time. And I remember him saying, he apologized. He was like, I shouldn't have used that word. But he then doubled down and said even more horrible shit about how, you know, it's the same kind of thing as bestiality. And this. He, he did all of that. And it hurt my soul. And I remember going home and crying my eyes out. And then I remember realizing, and then in that moment, I realized I am okay. I don't need no church to tell me who I am. Because I hear I am going every Sunday buying all this man books and workbooks and pamphlets and all of this extra stuff. I'm giving my first fruit offering. I'm doing everything just like everybody else in this church. I am devout. I am devoted. I have all the workbooks, Pastor. I'm following along with you. I'm literally doing the at-home work so that I can come back and follow along. Like I was invested because I felt through discipline that I would get some type of answers. Well, what I learned was there was no answers that was going to come from a man that thought jewelry was the full armor of God. And it really disillusioned me because I had given so much of my time. I had given so much of my money because I mind you, I'm a, I'm a, at that time, I was probably teetering in and out of homelessness, too, and still finding a way to get to church, even if it means I had to wash up in a bathroom before I would get on the bus to go to church in a public bathroom before I had to get on the bus to go to church. Like that's where I was at one point. And so it was just so hurtful to me that after all of that, that those people, those people that I spoke to on the bus, the people that would say, hey, world changer, and all of those people would, would stand up and give him a standing ovation for saying something that horrible. And it broke me for a very long time. So now two or three years go by 
Now, in, in those two or three years, my sister was a family member of my, my, my blood sister. She began to have her own faith walk and she starts going to these apostolic churches and becoming really, really conservative. But, but we and he, she and I have this conversation around, well, all sin is the same in God's eyes. And for me, that was enough of a compromise at the time. She wasn't judging me any more or less than anyone else. She just felt like, you know, I don't, you know, I still love you. You my sibling and I nobody will ever change that, you know, and God, only God can judge. But it still stung because there was a little bit of judgment in her saying that. So I remember that kind of like creating this gradual distance between us, but I was kind of ignorant to it or ignoring it. Meanwhile, I'm not going to church anymore. I'm, I'm no longer invested in that. I'm trying to find God for myself. I read the Bible book end to end. I started becoming really, really involved in my own personal faith. And believe it or not, I got to a place where I felt like I was okay with God, that God created me wonderfully and fearfully, and that there were examples in the Bible that they don't tell you of eunuchs and other people who live gender non-conforming roles in the Bible. So I said, well, wait a minute, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. There's too many contradictions in here. Now, mind you, I'm also studying about how the Bible was written, how it was compiled, King James and that whole, like, and all of his scandal and, and all of the things that he was as a man that he tried to hide behind making this conservative book and editing out all these other parts of the Bible that were relevant but that he didn't want to include because he wanted to try to, you know, make this very conservative control measure for his people. And the King James Bible is what black people swear by. So when I realized those things, I was like, yeah, I can't do this. Now, my, my, um, without going into too many details, my sister and I's relationship eventually drifts apart. And to this day, um, I have a relationship that is estranged in my family as a result of religion. Now, I did join an affirming church, shout out to Vision Church of Atlanta, and, and it was at the affirming church that I realized that there could be a pastor, there could be a first gentleman, and that God wasn't going to strike the building down. I saw people grow, and through a lot of my prayers and a lot of my growth there, I eventually was able to really feel confident, and now I don't even feel a way when somebody says something negative to me and tries to relay it back to the Bible because I know that that doesn't define me. And that Bible is so flawed. The idea that you're using that alone is enough for me to not really, you know, appreciate everything that you're saying because if you're not looking at it in context, not saying that the Bible doesn't have truth, but if the truth isn't in context, then it is not truth. So I didn't, I, I, I was able to grow to that place. But on the flip side, my sister was becoming more and more conservative in her belief system. And that has led to a riff in my family. She is anti, she has a platform that is anti-masturbation, anti-porn, anti, like she doesn't consider you, you know, you're not a virgin, even if you've mastur if you masturbated, you're not a virgin. Like she's gone completely over to the extreme girl. And it has caused a divide in our family and um, to this day, you know, my sister and I do have communication once a year on my birthday or on her birthday or twice a year, I should say my birthday or her birthday. We will call and talk for maybe 10 minutes or so about the weather. This year we talked about COVID, but we won't talk about anything. She'll make a point not to use my name and I'll make a point not to use hers. <laughs> and we'll have this kind of coworker conversation at its very surface. 
because she believes that I am serving the devil. She has written think pieces on the matter. She didn't, she wrote a book and in the, um, in the um, forward to the book, her husband wrote a very scathing opinion of trans people and LGBT folks. She recently has put up some stuff and it's always very triggering for me because it's just like religion has really divided my family. Um, so enough about family, sis. Um, I wanted to bring it back to you for a moment. At what point, because I guess for you, at what point did you no longer feel the need to defend yourself against like online attacks or people that would say little comments here and there? Um, how did you reconcile? Because it's not so much that I believe that you have to believe that you don't have to believe in the Bible or church for church to still have an impact on your life and, and, in, and an impact on the way people treat you. And so what I would like to know is, was there any a point where you've, where you've been in a conversation with someone or you've had to engage with someone and you've had to explain that, that my religion and your religion are different and we're not there and having to check them in a way? Or has that been something you've been able to avoid? Um, I think where I'm at with it now is I'll kind of have divested from like religion Mm -hmm. um that's not for me uh because so i guess a couple of years into my transition i can't I, I don't really know the exact point but um i just refused to be in something that inherently said i was a sin because i i think i just got to the point where i wanted to stop hating myself so i guess once i got to that realization that's when I began to meet um, trans folks that were like spiritual leaders or that was deep in spirituality. So shout out to Kaneem Afa, formerly known as Taylor, who was really deep into religion at the time. And when I met her, that was the first time that I, that I saw that uh, that a trans person could be a spiritual leader or like a religious mm -hmm. figure or have like a religious or like a spiritual analysis. Mm -hmm. So I guess meeting her, it kind of, it created like a shift in my mind that like my life and my experience as this trans woman is inherently spiritual and mm -hmm. that I am, like God made me this way. This is a mistake or I'm not um, a sinner or I'm not going to hell. Like this was the, this was the life that I was chosen to have. This was the walk that I was chosen to have. So meeting Kaneen, um, it, I think it allowed me to reorient how I saw, how I see my place in this life and in this world. Um, and it also, it made me feel comfortable with stepping away from organized religion and kind of going on the scary path of finding my spirituality away from those institutions. Mm -hmm. And that's something that's not really talked about. And in fact, that's something that's kind of frowned upon um, on. And I think the beautiful thing about it is that when I was doing this, it's kind of like when the Black Lives Matter movement was first kicking up. 
And mm -hmm. one of the great things about the Black Lives Matter movement, in my opinion, is it causes, in, in addition to us challenging white supremacy, it also challenges us to examine how white supremacy has replicated itself in Black communities. Mm -hmm. And while the Black church is, you know, has a presence in the original civil rights movement, I think now we're at a place where we can um, analyze and critique a lot of the ways that um, the Black church and like spiritual abuse has also perpetuated harm amongst Black people. So I, I, because we're in this moment now, I kind of feel empowered um, to say that, you know, I'm not associated with like a particular religion or a, or a particular denomination. No, I'm not a demon because of this. No, I'm not an abomination because of this. I'm just a full person that only goes into environments where all parts of me are affirmed and that I'm able to show up as um, my full self. And I have the right to be served spiritually. Like exactly. I don't want to have to sit in a space and be beaten up because of what I am naturally, who I'm naturally inclined to lay in bed with and who I am naturally inclined to be. Because my, my transness and everything else, that is natural to me. And God, but, you know, God makes no mistakes. And I believe all of us are created uniquely and that we have to create space for that to be affirmed like spiritually and and i'm just the type of person that if you tell if you try to scare me into doing doing something that's going to make me do it even more so like even when i was younger when people tried to scare you with um hell and fire and brimstone to me that had the opposite reaction of me because i don't because i don't like to live in fear and i would like to think that god doesn't want me to have to have this gift of life have this gift of having these feelings and having these experiences and having these physical sensations and not being able to act on i just don't that just doesn't work for me personally and i just i'm always mindful um of dogmas that um that preach you restricting um restricting or um, abstaining from experiences that are meant for you to have. And it got to a point with religion where if I'm not, if I'm not giving the grace, if I'm not being given the grace to ask questions and to question everything, that sends up a lot of red flags for me. Mm -hmm. That I'm just supposed to, ex I'm supposed to accept something when in the, the, in, in my gut, I just feel like there's something more, something's not right. So um, mm -hmm. I think meeting trans folks that um, have a spiritual inkling and they have served as spiritual guides and we've been able to pray together and they've been able to pray over me. Um, I think that those were like the foundations of me um, starting to openly say that I'm trans and I'm a spiritual person and my spirituality is valid. And also being comfortable with saying that, know that I don't have a custom or I don't have a hat, um, any established habits, but that doesn't make what I believe less valid than what you believe. 
just because you can fall back on this um, habit or um, this practice. And I don't know, I just feel free. Like, I just, like, my spirituality is wrapped up in my transness and my queerness and my body and all of that. And I just want to be free to experience all all of the experiences that I can experience and not have, like, a shame associated with it. Because with so many people that are so wrapped up in religion, it's like you get you you get scared to experience life and then when you do things you don't really get to enjoy it and sit in it because you're so busy um trying to unpack the shame after doing it yes 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 shame 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 and and, and so i want to transition into talking about how shame for me um so I want to now critique the affirming church. Um, because what I realized was, well, first, I met my trans mother through me hearing about the Vision Church of Atlanta. And I went and attended a service. And this woman and me kept making eye contact. And we it was like, I've never really just had an instant kindred connection of a otherworldly nature in that way. It was, it was, it was, it was just like we had the same sense of humor. We looked at the same things, and I would just go and me and this lady, and she would mind you, she was sitting in the front with the ministers because my minister Alicia Newsom, my first trans mother, um, to God rest her soul she was very active in this ministry or at least she appeared to be because she was near the front and she was wearing the minister's clothing well um she and i would have these conversations after church and the conversations led to you need to come up to um to my job and led to me discovering a community it led me to discovering an entire world of folk but it was because i kept seeing this lady every sunday And we were key about the same things after church. And it was just like, and then that became a a mother-daughter relationship very quickly. And then I got my sister Janelle to join the church. And she met mama. And that became her mama. And so I introduced my my second sister, Janelle, to my mom. And... um, we we were we were after that i went to church every sunday i was joined at the hip with mama going to church at um at um this before i was married and everything and i was joined at the hip going with my mama to vision church every sunday what the problem though was was i had been a part of that church maybe for about four or five years at that four or five years and i saw how they were treating my trans mother and the other trans individuals so they would do like a rotating, like when pastor wasn't in, in town, they would do rotating in how they let the ministers preach. They would do, um, they would have a Bible studies where they would let different ministers give Bible study. And what I observed is, is that man at no point ever, 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 ever while I was there, let a trans person speak in his pulpit, period. And this is an affirming church. And I made note of that because I would watch the rotation. I'd been going for years to the point where I knew his sermons and when he was repeating them. 
And I never saw my trans mother or any of the other godly trans women and men in that church get respected in the same way. I saw favoritism happening. I also saw that this affirming church was taking donations every Sunday from a community of people that now are, you know, these are young You, This church had a very young population, very youth LGBT focused church. Most of us were, were homeless or damn near. None of us really had cars like that. Some of us did, you know, some of the more, you know, older gay men that had had jobs and stuff or, you know, whatever. And, they, and lesbians that had families, you know, they had cars and stuff, but like a lot of the trans folk in particular were homeless. But we're giving to the church every Sunday and we're giving and we're doing what we're doing. And now this is before the church moved to the building that inevitably has now and became the cathedral and he became a bishop and all of that. I'm talking about, I was grassroots. I was there when they opened the, um, the, um, the um, little five points location. Cause that's what I went there for. Cause I heard it was a new church opening there. And it was off Marta, because that's what I go for. I'm little five points is right off the Marta train stop, and I could walk to church. That's what I was looking for. And I was like, I'll try these people. But what I discovered in my attending that church was that as long as we're using this same book and we're treating, we're trying to, because what, what, what a lot of affirming churches do try to do is we're just like every other church, except y'all can come here and be okay. And we're still going to uphold some of the problematic practices of these other churches as long as y'all is okay. As long as, you know, as long as, but it's okay that y'all, it's okay because y'all can come here. So I began to see the ways in which the affirming churches were beginning to, I felt like, deny and, and marginalize the trans community. They would have services or sermons where they would want to issue an apology. For what? I don't know. We're going to apologize to the trans community this service. If you are trans, please stand. Now, I don't know, for those of you who are allies out there who may not know, the worst thing you can do to a trans person in a, in a, in a, in a crowd is to say, if you're trans, step forward. Even if it, that's the bad, that's the, first of all, that's the worst way to start an apology. So now everyone in the church that's trans feels compelled to come to the front and stand so that pastor can address all the trannies at the same time and say, I'm sorry. And then he gave us all like these serum, these little gift bags that had some condoms and other goodies in it and sent us back to I'm a fuck see. Safe sex kit, you know, like the stuff that they probably got free from a, a, a thing and they gave us like a flower, a carnation and told us to go sit down. Cool. But then they started doing that once a year. There was like an annual, we're going to apologize to y'all for not seeing y'all and not using y'all. Mind you, this entire time, to this day, that church does not have a trans ministry. Does not. Several people have tried. Several people have attempted. I'm not going to name names. There also was, there also, once the church realized that the trans community was a funding opportunity, because now we can say we outreach to these people. They're coming to this church. Let's start a nonprofit. So I was a part of them helping them. Uh, I, was, I, I, was, I was a part of helping them craft what would look like a program to support trans people. Now, they even offered me a job and everything. And 
I never got paid. I never heard anything more about it. They used me on paper to get a grant and then I never heard anything more. And I've heard from very reliable sources, other individuals who they strung along just like me after me, that they never pay people, the trans people, the money that they said they were gonna give them. And it was just like, wow, here we are. Now this is supposed to be an affirming church, but the way this system is set up, I'm still coming out at the bottom. It ain't a white man in this building, but I feel oppressed as fuck. This is supposed to be the church for us, by us kind of building, and I still feel oppressed as fuck. There is no opportunity for me if I did want to elevate in this church to do it. There is no opportunity for me to get audience with the pastor because then as he began to get more celebrity and more fame, then, you know, it's all so many barriers to see him and you have to be, it's just so many different things. And then the time that I was invited into his presence, it didn't, it, it, it came off like an interrogation, like, who are you? Because we've heard about you. We heard about what you do in community. And it was like more of an interrogation about who I am and what my ministry is more than it was an embracing of me as a trans advocate. Because now I'm a full out trans advocate. This year's not gone, but I'm grown, grown. I she air and I used to go to that same church every Sunday for the first two years of my relationship. I was committed to still being a part of that union because it was full of LGBT folks and it was full of trans people, but I didn't see the trans people prospering or being elevated in any way. And I, and also the trans people began to leave the church, but I still stuck. I went with them when they moved to Armwood. I went with them and then my trans mother left the church and I was still going. My trans mother left that church because they were denying her, but I still was going because it was a routine for me. It was my community. I met a lot of wonderful dear friends. I met my sister Toya at that church. Um, you know, shout out to my sister Raquel. Shout out, I mean, I, like, I have a lot of Samaria. Um, I, have, I can go on and on. Um, but I have so many good sisterhood relationships that were founded in that in the institution. And this is in no way me trying to trash them. But this is just me telling from my experience and what I've been told. I can't corroborate the things other people have told me. But I can say from what I know that this church was not doing what it could have done to support a community of people that were being used in every other way. You want us to do drag shows at your convention gala. You want us to have conferences and we plan everything, but you don't give us a dime and you don't even mention it. I've even given cultural competency training to the entire congregation, sat on the pulpit. Now, mind you, he gave the pulpit up to me and Toya and a few of the girls a few years ago because he was really worried that he was losing all the girls. And we called ourselves giving them a cultural competency training. And yet still they found a way to tank that, make it a, a photo opportunity, get more funding for it and still not pay community. So I just want to say that that was the thing that made me realize that church is a business a business that I will no longer be sowing my time, money, and energy into. I still consider myself a follower of the principles of Christ, even though I critique the way that image has been used to oppress my people. So I am not, a, I don't identify as a Christian. I do follow the principles of love thy neighbor. 
And I am one of those people that I do still pray every single solitary day. I'm deeply spiritual. But I've also chosen to embrace other forms of spirituality, my African forms of spirituality um, that, that and, and believe it or not, were around me all along growing up that I just wasn't seeing because I just wasn't, I, I was taught so to focus on one thing and then anything that wasn't this was, was hellbound or, or evil that I didn't even realize the, the power that I had within myself. And I discovered that through African um, centered cosmologies and the religions of Africa and some of the, and me learning more about who I am outside of what I was told. And, but on a deeper level, I think regardless of the institution, if the building is more important than the people, then we have a problem. If the pastor's salary is more important than the people, then we have a problem. And I feel like that is not immune. No church is immune, but definitely affirming churches are not immune because you're taking money from people who don't have money. And for me, that was just the final straw. And since then, I have, I realized that, you know, church is important to some people. I felt like as I transitioned from a babe in Christ to someone that was a full grown spirit woman, I realized that I cannot be confined to a building. I realized that there will be no dogma created by man, created by man to oppress me that will truly ever explain the uniqueness of who I am. And like what you were saying, I choose to live a life where I would like to have experiences that are mine. And provided that I am not harming myself or others or going against my code of ethics, which is very high and strong, then I don't feel like I'm like I need a building to get my prayer. Now, do I do I still miss um, the community of church? For sure. I, for sure. Do I miss being able to sing on the choir? For sure. Do I miss being a part of the uh, hearing the music and feeling that energy? For sure. But I realized that a lot of that was for show. It was like watching a concert and getting the crowd excited enough. And then you're going to ask for donations. And then we're going to give a love offering on every third Sunday to this man. Mind you, he's not. And, and in return, he's not giving anything. Now, I do remember a time where I was homeless in the old church back before I, when I first met Lisa, where there was advertised. There was advertised because Cheryl was also a part of that church. There was advertised that they had a group. And she, I went to Cheryl's group one time and then the next week she fell out with the church. And I found out later when she became my mom, cause her, Cheryl and Lisa were joined at the hip, they were sisters. But I found out when Lisa left and Cheryl left town and I wasn't in communication with her and Cheryl became my mom, I found out he was trying to charge her to have trans group meetings at the church that she attends for the girls of the church. And that was just like, just a real, that just crystallized for me everything that I knew that these institutions are not following God in the way that they say they are. They are money-making ventures. And I have completely lost my faith in those types of institutions because I realized that man will always find some kind of way to corrupt it and get money out the pot. And I personally choose to choose to donate with my money personally to people that I love and care about. I choose to, to donate my time I choose to pray intensely for myself and my family and all those that I love. I choose to still be a good person. I don't need a building to do that. 
I do think that church gave me at least a foundational understanding that faith is important if you would like to see success. Because I will say, and this is for all of you Christians out there that think that because we're not in church, we're in struggle. Everything that I have ever prayed for in my entire life has come to pass. Now, did it come to pass when I wanted it to? Hell no. Did I have to go through strife and hell? Yes. Did I have to do twice as more with less results as other people? Yes. But eventually, one step at a time, I was able to claw my way from nothing to where I am now through my faith. And for those Christians out there that believe that the only way to God is through Christ, I want to challenge you to look at your own results and see what you see. Because I can see with myself that my prayers are answered because I've disconnected my faith from a building. And I feel like I wanted to put that on there because on, on this podcast today, because I want people to know, like, cause I know there are a lot of trans people out there and I know particularly cause I cancel a lot of young trans folks. They are, a lot of them are terrified. One about letting their family down, but two, particularly people like me who were raised in church. I have trans sisters that are trying to transition who are PKs. And so they have to unpack this deeper level of shame that they have. But what you said was very powerful, sister, shame. We have to unpack shame and remove it from our lexicon as trans people because the world is going to do that enough. You should not be engaging in a faith system that is telling you that who you are is wrong. Otherwise, you're believing in something that doesn't believe in you. And that's powerful. But I also want to talk about, Sid, um, and I wanted to ask you, how do you think that the church affects, like, because now I know as an advocate, I'm sure you've seen the, the vitriol online, the way that cis folks, cis black women, cis black men will throw the Bible up or will feel like they don't have to be as concerned about our death. Because in their mind, they feel like we're already committing a sin or an abominable act. And so how do you address in your advocacy and even in your relationships with men, people that come to you who are still kind of like, like extra churchy or very um, kind of even still holding some of that oppressive stuff? Because particularly gay men, I often hear them when they get mad at us revert back to Oh, but you a man. And I know some of that is in them still going to these churches, even though they're affirming where they see about where they still are reading a Bible that says that y'all still men. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And they feel like they can stand on that. And so what are your thoughts on how it's affected the community at large and even the men that date us? Uh, Well, particularly for gay black men, I feel like they they struggle a lot with internalized homophobia that is perpetuated by the church. Because um, I feel like I've experienced a lot of them who are like really gay and really queer, but they will sit up in church, those oppressive churches. And so, you know, I usually try to steer clear of people like that. And I have come across guys, particularly men that I've met from the South, and I know that the I don't even pursue it further with the relationship because I know that how I live my life. One, I know that how I live my life and how, how does it I'm, come up, sis? I'm interested to know how does it come up. 
Um, well, it was this it's it was one situation where a guy was liking me and he was wondering why I wasn't letting him get closer to me. And he was just like, Well, I'm just a regular guy and I go to church every Sunday and I just don't understand why, you know, I'm a I'm a I'm a Christian or it'll come up with um the type of woman that they're looking for. Like I'm looking for like a God fearing woman and i know that 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 term god fearing is like a buzzword for christianity Mm -hmm. and i know for me i don't look at my relationship with um god as something that i am fearful of god because i because i just believe intrinsically that you can't be in fear you can't be in relationship with somebody and be fearful of them at the same time like that, that like those two things don't go together for me it's like we're either in relationship and I feel comfortable or we I'm scared of you and we're not in relationship. So to me, that God fearing and that church every day, like that lets me that that kind of triggers to me that I don't even feel comfortable having the conversation with you because where I'm at with my spirituality, it's like way left. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know what type of reaction that you're gonna have because I just I don't feel like I'm cookie cutter and I'm open to the possibility of not having a structure and still feeling fulfilled and I know that that's not I know that that's not the status quo and Mm -hmm. I know that you know that's not for everybody so I usually try to um and I know it, it it a lot of people feel comfortable with habit and tradition and predictability. And I try to, like, when we get to the religious conversations, I never want to say, you know, make somebody feel like, well, you're wrong for feeling this way. Exactly. And you need to do, like, that. that's not my thing. That's late. Yeah. But I know that I feel how I feel and I ain't changing. And I don't, like, I'm open to the possibilities of it of it looking a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. And I know that when you try to bring, when you try to cr- try to make a relationship work, especially with a man that has beliefs and values, typically that, that doesn't work out for me. So I just kind of do my own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I, I, I've met men that like are not religious per se, and they're not like, you know, in church, and they'll say, oh, I'm not spiritual. Oh, I mean, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual, but then they really haven't done any spiritual work. It's like, they'll say that they're spiritual, but they don't really have a context of what that means for them. So, like, on the flip side, that doesn't work for me either. Like, what is your spirituality? Like, what do you, it's not, it's more than you just not going to church and not identifying as a Christian. Like, what spiritual path are you on? Right, so, right. And, so, and and I think people think that spirituality means when they when you're asking that question, they often believe what you're asking is what religion are you? And what we and, and I, I truly think that as as black people, particularly in this time where we're seeing our black pastors go sit for Trump and have conversations, it's time to assess the way in which the the institutions we believe prop up white supremacy and create this paradigm of overseer overseeing the, the this flock and 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 keeping them under control 
because the reason why Trump feels that he doesn't have to deal with black people but needs to talk to black pastors is he believes that the control that if he can get to them they already got them people under control you got million dollar businesses off of these people's back so I know you got them now let me show you how I can give you a little help if you give me a little help and make them vote for me and I've seen pastors in this is really when the real like truth serum for me as far as really seeing pastors really really what they stand for because i was gagged at how many well-known pastors and people because i still follow church i still follow church gossip and things of that nature because i'm always gonna be churched i can't not be unchurched i'm a church girl but i am not someone that no i'm not someone that's gonna go into that building unless it's for unless it's for a purpose and the purpose has to be revolutionary or a funeral or you know because or uh, like i said I, i've gone like i said revolutionary in the sense that it may it's related to my community work because there's times where i have to go to churches for my work but as far as like me worshiping in a building you can miss me with all that because because see, see you're gonna start because i because once i'm the girl that once i do start giving you money i'm watching what you're doing with it it does matter to me because i thought that i was giving to a charitable organization which is why you get your tax exempt status so I'm interested to see what you're doing with that money. Transparency is doubly important to me in a church because you're getting so much money. And, and the account, I don't want to see my pastor with a Maybach and we don't have no type of housing program and you got a million dollar cost. See, that's the problem for me. You see what I'm but saying? I, I think we also like have to have a conversation how um, quote unquote religion is wrapped up in capitalism. Mm -hmm. And just because something has the capacity to make money doesn't necessarily mean that it's the best thing for the whole of us. Like, yeah. I hate to bring this conversation in, but I shared a post in reference to Tyler Perry um, becoming a billionaire. And um, I shared a post where somebody critiqued um, how he became a billionaire. And of course, it was a whole bunch of Black people coming to defend him. Like, mm -hmm. he does this, that, and a third. And he's successful, but it begs the question, what's the point of being successful and generating all of this money if your work is critically like flawed? Or it's just not, it's not the best that it could be. Mm -hmm. So like just, and it kind of relates to, to churches because churches are these billion dollar uh, machines that are untaxed. And it's all this money coming in, coming in, coming in. And we really, like, we really, because they're not taxed, we don't know what they're doing with all of that money. Exactly. But because, you know, it's so tied to Black culture and it's a staple in our culture, it's kind of like, like, well, you don't question because this is what it is and this is the structure and this is... If churches had to give profit and loss statements, a lot of shit would get erased. Right. And... I don't know. I like I said, I'm just open to the possibility of things looking a different way. And like you said a couple of episodes ago, I'm comfortable with sitting in the uncertainty because trying to do this rank and file and rank and order stuff, for me, the type of unique person that I am, that doesn't work for me. And I'm more invested in sitting in the unknown and like really going through the journey of life than trying to like um, put on airs and do these performances. And at the end of the days, um, worrying whether people are going to accept me for me. It's like, well, I'd rather know now that you don't fuck with me 
so I can, you know, move in the directions that I need to move and then trying to, um, then trying to, to gain this like fake acceptance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, um, I want to say, um, before we close out this topic, I think that I want to speak now to um, Black trans girls out there that maybe you may be that 19-year-old girl that I was that feels lost, that feels, that's getting her life and getting her 10, but you're doing things that you know don't serve you, or you may be doing risky behavior, or you may be doing things that you know aren't necessarily what you could be doing to have the best success, but because you've been told you're an abomination, you feel like, well, fuck it. What is the purpose in me investing in a long-term life when the inevitable will be death and hell? Because the wages of sin is death. That's what we were told in church. And so I just want to speak to the young trans woman out there right now who may be feeling like they have a family, because I know what it is to have family not deal with you behind a book. I know what it is to have family that you have not, never spoken to in years behind a book. And I want you, and I know what it is to have family to misgender you and mistreat you and make you feel like they don't have to respect you because of a book. And I want you to know that it is okay for you to step outside of all of that and in this moment, find whatever faith you want to and look up to that creator and say, you made me. You made me and I am worthy. And if you say that every day to yourself, look, touching to your inner self and then speaking to your outer self, I am worthy. I, every, faith does not have to require a book. Faith is me believing that I'm going to continue to work this job for a year and then doing things to make sure that that can happen so that I can pray. Faith is I want this job opportunity or I want to get out of sex work or I want to, or, or, or if I don't want to get out of sex work, faith is even I want to have a good day and make money, you know what I'm saying, while doing it. Faith is you being able to take the words of your mouth and formulate them into actual declarations that will come to pass. And I believe that that is not tied to a, a, a particular religion. That is a, an intrinsic belief in yourself and in your ability to affect your environment. A lot of religious people will say that's witchcraft and if it ain't in King James, fuck them. And I'm saying that and I meant it. Fuck them. You have to get to that place where you love yourself. And if you have family, because the reality of it is your family's not judging the, the people in the family that are having kids out of wedlock. Your family is not judging the people that at, at every crab boil, when y'all sitting down and reading, they want to go Old Testament when it comes to you, but then they want to say God forgave us when he got on the cross so we can do all this other stuff. Well, if that's the case, then it is what it is. For those of you who are still Christian and black, that's fine too. Christ, Christian black trans woman, that is fine too, because I know some wonderful, beautiful people that are. And, I, and I'm not sure how you are able to reconcile your faith, but I respect it because I used to be one of you. And as a believer in the principles of Christ, I am your kindred. And so I just want y'all to know, I wanted to give that little word of empowerment out there because we live in a world today where this Bible and the evangelists that are voting for Trump and the, and the black community, that conservative black community that votes for Trump simply because they wanna say that they have 
they're a part of this elite club that can look down on someone else and that you don't want to make, you want to uphold your family values because traditional family values never existed in this country. This country was founded on the back of rapists who raped women and you need to look at look in your history. This country was not founded about with people that were these moral centers and the separation of church and state didn't even exist at the beginning of this country. So the church was used to oppress people from the very beginning and control them. And so I just want for, for those of you who are Christian, more power to you. But for those of you who aren't, it's okay to have criticism. It's okay to ask questions. If you're a young trans person listening to this, it's okay to have questions about that stuff because your parents can't answer it either because they know it's bullshit. They don't want to tell you that, but it is. A lot of it is, is our allegories to a deeper story that is not being told, but because people take the Bible literally, they use it to control and manipulate people. I no longer want to participate in that, but I'm not denying anyone else's faith. I still pray so that clearly I believe in a God. And because I only know how to pray one way, I still invoke the name of Jesus when I pray sometimes. But that does not mean that I need to go to a church to be a follower of Christ's principles or be a good person. And I just want to put that golden nugget out there for all of my young girls out there who may not have family that's ever going to affirm them and tell them that they're okay. You are fine as you are, baby. You are wonderfully, beautifully, and fearfully made, as the Bible said, which they don't want to tell you, and that you are not an abomination because you are an heir to the throne. And I guess the only thing I, that I would have to add is that, you know, if you want, if you still want to be a Christian, like, you can also be progressive because um, not necessarily trans women, but I've seen um, a lot of progressive black cis women um, in Christianity. One that comes to mind is the the unfit Christian. Um, I follow her, and she really um, she pushes back a lot against she pushes back against a lot of the um, patriarchy and the toxic masculinity that is inherent in Christianity. Um, and that is like perpetuated by black men and also upheld by black cis women. So like there is a space for you, however you identify. I just think it's just important that you have to be open to the possibility that it's going, you're going to have to create it as you go. It's yes. very much going to be like on, on the job training. Yes. But if that, if you know, if that's your lane and that's what you want to do, um, it's fine. And I just feel like, a lot of times religion, it kind of beats the, because you have to conform, you have to fall in line, it beats the originality and the creativity out of you. And that's kind of what you need, whether you're going to um, strike out on your own and um, affirm your spirituality, or if you're going to try to stay in and try to do a lot of that internal work to shift a lot of those structures that, um, our current our present in the black church in order to make it progressive for those for those trans people that want to identify as Christian. Like mm -hmm. I, I feel like it's fine, but we just we have to be open to the possibility that it's not gonna look one way and we kind of have to unfortunately we have to do the work to um, create what that's gonna look like for everybody. Now I do want to say for those of you who are living in Atlanta there is a church, um, and, and I will say this woman is a black cis woman that is progressive, 
I mean, um, yeah, Black cis woman that is progressive. She's actually l lesbian. And she has a wonderful ministry that I, that often invites me to give, um, that, that often invites me, that has actually allow me to be able to go on TV with them to talk about trans issues. And so, and that church is Restorative Inclusive Ministries here in Atlanta, REM Inc. REM Inc. Church, Restoration Inclusive Ministries. The church is, um, is, 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 it's a small church. And, it, and I do believe that that lady, because she buried my, my, my mother, amen. I do believe that that lady has something in her. If there ever was somebody, you know, and I'm just putting this on the podcast, God forbid, if anything ever happens to Samaya, Pastor Sonia Williams, well, I should say Bishop Sonia Williams now, will be the one that I would like to say the words at my services. Because that lady has shown me with her actions, shown me by paying me, paying me. That's real. Now let's talk about that now. Actually paying me to to do my work. She has appreciated me in a way that I have not known from these churches because usually when they, when they want you to come, they want you to donate, but you're a billion dollar business. Why, why can't you give me something? And I've never even asked or tried to charge her, but she always pays me. And she's also one of my highest booking fees. She pays me more than, than I've been paid in community doing work sometimes. So shout out to Pastor Sonia Williams. Shout out to the Vision Church, No Tea, No Shade. I have collaborated with them to do conferences and other things in the past on another level, but I, you know, I can't vouch for them necessarily as an edifice now. I don't know how they are now, but I know when I was going, it wasn't a place, it wasn't a place that I could say was gonna give a black girl, a black trans girl a chance to to be a part of the full collective. But they didn't have a trans ministry. Last I talked to someone, that was earlier this year. So I don't know what they have going on now, but I just know that that you need to make sure that if you are Christian. You're finding a home that accepts you all the way for you. Shout out to Raquel Henry. If you want to look her up online, that's another trans woman pastor that I know is someone that is God-led and that has a good spirit and that can at least guide you to a good home. Thank you for listening to another episode of Box Number 512 Podcast. Grown Black Trans Woman Talk. Don't forget to go to our anchor page to become a monthly sponsor. And also feel free to like, follow, and subscribe to us on all of our social media platforms. And also, please don't forget to rate and review our podcast, Every Comment Matters. And lastly, please, please, please follow and tune in for our live interactive Facebook show every Friday on Facebook and YouTube. Until next time, I'm the Lioness. And I'm Aeon. Bye.